Hey, this is Eyesore. This is a podcast about painting, if you didn't know that already. It's gonna be uh, one hell of a ride, because it's not really fun a lot of the time. It's a lot of fun other times. Such is the nature of life. It takes a long time, and it's a, it's a lonely road. You need someone to talk to. Today we're gonna be talking to... Um, warrior Prince, whatever, fights evil by moonlight, wins love by daylight, he's the one named Zach Coke. Zach Coke is a painter in, who lives in Mississippi, but he's from Indiana, uh, Illinois, I mean, sorry. Uh, I went to school at the university that he currently teaches at, we met, we fell in love, I knew immediately that this guy and I share... Um, some sort of brain space. Um, and you can kind of tell that in the conversation. We talk about a lot of nuts and bolts things, which is good. It's what I'm interested in. This also was recorded via video. We did some screen share stuff, so... There's gonna be some visual reference stuff that you're not gonna get if you're not using visual. And since this is a podcast, you're not gonna get it. However, to aid in this handicap, I've provided links in the show notes. If you are a nerd, you might want to look at these paintings before the show starts and familiarize yourself with what we're going to be talking about. It's kind of one of those hang-ups about podcasts, art podcasts. It's hard to get around. I always listen to these art podcasts, and I don't know who the artists are. Um when I'm listening to them and I feel like I'm missing out on something. Anyway, we talk about, should I even tell you? I don't remember what we talked about, but it was good. I remember that part. We talked a lot about materials. We talk about his history, his origin story. We talk about, you know, maybe the future of the internet in painting. There's a lot of potential here. So, We'll get into it right now. Oh, and one more thing, because I don't always listen until the very end of the interview. Uh, And if you don't either, I'm going to put two links in the show notes. Zach talks about, A, a list of grad schools that everyone should know about, and B, a list of contemporary painters. If either one of those interests you, check out the show notes and sail away. So, with you particularly, what makes you different from uh, most artists I come across is the is the amount of digitalization that goes into your work. If you know, like, there's just obviously a lot of computer work that goes on before you even start putting paint to canvas. Uh, I'm wondering how you go around. How about like collecting uh, your images? You seem like someone who's like a big collector. Because I I obsess stuff. I have like zip files and shit. And I think <laughs> that you are probably of the same uh, ilk. Uh, yeah. Like I admit that I am a digital hoarder. So I have, you know, several hard drives just full of like, you know, images and videos. I will collect uh, anime, movies, TV, video games, like 
I think part of the reason for that is uh, we're kind of in this era of the wild west with the internet. So you're right. It's all out there right now. And uh, I'm just like trying to get it all before, you know, shuts down (laughs) or there's something like uh, catastrophic that happens. So uh, as far as like the collecting part of it goes, that's like uh, my digital hoarder self that (laughs) has the need to kind of get it all. Uh, my old master folder, I have like, you know, 20,000 paintings or whatever in it, you know, different artists. I'm trying Uh to make a digital collection that, I mean, I would like to have one of the biggest digital collections of old master paintings if I can. I do the same thing for contemporary painters too. My goal though, is to stick it out there. Like, uh, I do have part of my uh, contemporary painting folder out there on Dropbox, but you know these files are way too large to you know have out there at the moment. Right. I remember you shared you shared me. I came to you one time when I was still at, in college, asking you who were contemporary painters, and you sent me this Dropbox link, and that thing changed my life. It like opened yeah. up my entire world. That was like that was a uh, an oasis or something. Like it was it was like a little escape rope. <laughs> It was awesome. Man, that's so good to hear. That's what I kind of, that's why I want to put it out there. Uh, Yeah. No secrets for me. And I think too, that's a good thing to mention because whenever I was an undergrad, I did not know any artists at all. Just Leonardo, Michelangelo, and the Ninja Turtles. And that's all you knew. It's just, I think part of it's just collecting and looking at a lot of stuff. Do you keep your stuff on, do you keep it on like external terabyte hard drives? Uh, do you have this cloud network? How do you, where do you store it? My database is uh, just all on my, uh, you know, desktop computer. So it's just the tower. Uh, I, but I do have like you know, five or six different hard drives uh, full of stuff like terabytes. I've been recently uh, trans transferring my stuff over solid state drives and those are just with a regular hard drive they break down because they have spinning components to it but a solid state is just like you know that'll last for a while oh you mean like spinning components like actual like little bits of machinery that spin yeah so a real hard drive that's what whenever you're recalling information there's a little thing inside that spins and uh, it brings it up, but a solid state drive is just, you know, no spinning parts. Oh my God. Like it's a lazy Susan or something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's really weird. How do you, uh, where do you go to find high quality images, especially after Google, you know, like a, a, a year ago, they did that whole like Getty thing where they, you can't download their high res images yeah. anymore. Where do you go to get high res images now? Uh, I mean, that's a good question, too. Most of these high-res images you can get from museum websites. They're really good about that. Uh, Some of those museums, though, they kind of put it behind a wall where you have to, like, sign up and be a member of their website or whatever. And then other things just aren't available online for whatever reason. But uh, you can still find that stuff, but you have to, like, go to the Reichs Museum or something or the National Portrait Gallery website. But it's 
I mean, that's the thing. All that information is out there. It's just you have to kind of dig for it. And that's my problem where I spend hours and hours and hours digging and uh, not enough time painting probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The digging can get addictive. I, I, well, I love it. I love the digging though, but yeah, <laughs> it's like gambling or something or it, it definitely appeals to the obsessive kind of mindset. Uh huh. Oh, it's like a collect. It's like Banjo Kazooie or something. And you're just picking <laughs> yeah, like a completionist. <laughs> That's exactly it. So, when you work on your paintings, are these done? Are your paintings done all from reference? When I look at uh, your work, it looks as if it seems like almost everything on there is done from uh, these computer reference. But are you using other reference? Do you ever work from direct observation now, or is it? usually uh take it from these images gosh uh i i don't know if i remember i mean i have a few paintings where i would be at a model session or something and i'd have like some figure painting on there and then i would kind of base a painting around it but uh generally i usually just work all from reference and i think part of it too is you know we're both painters but i kind of consider myself more of a collage artist in a way because I prefer things that are already made and then figuring out a way to creatively kind of put them together and start a narrative or a conversation with it. So I kind of have more fun taking those things and putting them together uh, like a collage person would do. And I think part of it too is why I don't do collages that much is it feels a little too easy or something. And I really enjoy the kind of nerdiness of oil painting where there's always like this rung or level that you're trying to achieve, but you know, it's still out of reach. You feel like you've learned something every time that you paint. That's what I love about it. Yeah. The physical act of painting is so rewarding in itself. It's just it's hard to let go of that and just just do a collage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've how much time will, will you spend assembling the collage, and what do you use to make the collages? Is it done on Photoshop for the most part? Yeah, most of the time I will use Photoshop, but uh, a lot of the time I also use uh, like programs like Maya, mm -hmm. Cinema 4D, and Google SketchUp. Just you know whatever kind of 3D program I need to build sort of a still life out of it. Right. It's kind of usually how it gets set up. As far as the speed of it, some things I'll spend days kind of putting together than others. Uh, I'll spend a few minutes. I've kind of learned that it's way easier to just spend a few minutes with it and don't overthink it and just get to the painting part. Because uh, even though I consider myself a collage artist, like once you get to the painting part, that's whenever you're starting to make your own decisions and, you know, you push things around, you change it. And that's kind of the fun part of the painting. Mm -hmm. So let me pull up a few images of your work. And I'm, I'm guessing uh, one like this, this is called Tunnel Vision. This one, these 3D figures, was that done on Maya? Uh, yeah, so that one is uh, totally Maya. Okay. And, uh, you know, what's cool about those programs, you can control the lighting and, you know, put whatever you want in it. And 
it is pretty much like making a little still life out of it. And oh, interesting. That's sort of the weird thing about it too. Is I started making these digital, like I would make the digital still life things in the beginning, just because I would start painting things like uh, VHS tapes and calendars and just things that had images on them anyway. Yeah, so there's a, a still life that I did of like an Akira videotape with a, a Jurassic Park videotape. And I did those so much from life that I was just kind of cutting to the meat and potatoes of it where I'm like, you know, if I'm painting all these things and I like the images, why not just use the images and make something out of it? You're look, you started out looking at analog uh, VHS artwork and using that to just going straight to the digital uh part yeah and kind of the middleman so to speak back in grad school i would you know take a bunch of vhs tapes and make a still life out of it and uh i would just paint it from direct observation but uh, it just got so boring for me because so that it would look like a stack of vhs tapes yeah it was like a, okay i don't know if i have any uh i don't think i have any images of those but they're all painted over or something probably but uh, I just wanted to get, I was very limited to what I could use. So that's why I kind of just switched over to the digital side of it. Oh, sick of using the same stuff over and over? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Where I'd have Is to it... go to the Goodwill and, you know, buy a bunch of stuff, then I'd never yeah. use it. I, so that's why I kind of prefer being a digital hoarder because it doesn't take up any space, you know? Yeah, I believe that. And this image dark horse where um, if you're listening to this, you can't see it, but there's this uh, cube with a painting on it, like a Dutch painting on it. And the painting continues from one side of the cube onto the other. Um, was that done in SketchUp? Would you like create a cube and then overlay an image on top of it? Yeah, I, I think that one was SketchUp. So it's just making very basic shapes. And then just like you said, it's a uh, projection image. So it would uh, project uh, whatever kind of painting or, that I, or image that I chose and it just put it straight on that object. And I always love the kind of distortion that would happen with it. And then even those parts where there's like a break in the image and that repeats again. Uh, just because it kind of refers back to its digital quality. When you have an image you're satisfied with, and then you start the painting process, how exactly does the the drawing phase of it go? Uh, so I use like an indirect painting method where I will take uh, whatever my design is and transfer it over to a panel. And then I'll spend you know, a good amount of time just working on the drawing because for the mo most of the time, like the, uh, whatever I'm working from, the collage is just really confusing. And then I have yeah. to like work my way through it. Uh, used to be like really intimidating at first, but you know, after working my way through it for a while, I'm kind of getting a shorthand for it. But, uh, part of the drawing thing too, is I use a lot of, uh, graphite and the, 
like the underdrawing where I'll actually kind of fill in all the dark areas with graphite and I'll do like a black and white underpainting. So you, uh, did you say indirect in, as in like you'll have a drawing, then you'll transfer it to the canvas or uh, did I mishear that? Uh, yeah, so it, there's direct painting where, you know, you're just painting directly from whatever your object is. You have a blank white canvas and then you're yeah. painting your still life. And then there's the indirect method where you have your drawing and then you're painting from the drawing. So that's kind of more okay. like, you know, Dutch or Venetian artists or something would do. Like Really? I mean, there's always those uh, really beautiful Leonardo drawings you see of like, he's got a really great underdrawing, but that's like an indirect method because mm -hmm. you have like complete control over your composition. In some ways, right. you know, it's, it's not as like free or open. I, I get in lots of arguments with people about like, you know, what's what's true painting or whatever. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, painting for me, I just like to zone out, listen to some audiobooks, and kind of, uh, just go to town mixing colors and rendering. That's an approach I've tried. Uh, I haven't had that much experience with it, but it's always felt like the, the transfer doesn't quite capture the, uh, the spirit of the drawing. Do you feel that? Or have you found a way to really accurately transfer? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, whenever you think of people like Ong, you know, mm -hmm. his drawings are, you know, better than life because they're really thought over and composed. Uh, as far as like how I would transfer something, I would uh, use, I would have like a printout or something or, uh, project it if it's large enough and I think that's like one of the things that a lot of like realistic painters don't talk about because uh, in order to get that kind of level of realism in a fast way and cranking out paintings like uh, there there are tools out there that you kind of take advantage of and I certainly do The material that you use for the the painting itself, uh, and you use panel. It looks like from the for your uh, is that your primary surface? Would you say panel? Yeah, uh, ninety nine percent of the time it's uh, panels. So okay, I prefer working on masonite panels just because they're really nice and smooth already. Uh, they hold gesso well. They don't you know warp or bend that bad. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, obviously, if you get over like 24 inches, they might start kind of bowing a little bit, but there's ways around it. Right, right. Um, do you draw onto the masonite? Uh, what material is the under the, the little underpainting on the painting on the panel? Yeah, I wonder. Here's like a a little panel that I have here of like a uh, it's kind of an abandoned painting. But uh, if you look at it, what I'll do first is 
as far as what I use for gesso, I just use white acrylic, you know, house paint uh-huh. uh, that you get from Lowe's. Uh-huh. And I'll just add a little bit of black to it so it's nice and gray. And once I get that on there, I'll do my transfer and the drawing right on top of that. So, uh, like I said earlier, I'll make it a really kind of heavy drawing and render it out with graphite because uh, there's this way that the white of uh, the paint will mix in with the graphite where uh-huh. it kind of makes it nice and dark and uh, you can get really rich darks just from the graphite plus that white. It's really kind of an interesting thing. It all mixes together. Really? I want, yeah. Let me so, I grab this painting. Okay. Yeah. So this painting here is like pretty much like all graphite plus white. And uh, oh, it, you can get pretty good array of tone. How do you you you'll paint on top of graphite, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you keep it so that the graphite doesn't smear in with the paint and kind of tint the paint? Do you like? Do you have to do a fix, fix it or something over it, or what? Yeah, like uh, I want it to kind of mix in and smear into it. Oh, you like the graphite smeared in the paint? Yeah, like uh, okay. it doesn't doesn't harm it or anything. It kind of uh, just embeds itself in there. Uh, I can't think of any reason why it would not be uh, something that would stand the test of time either, because you know other painters have done that in the past. Are you talking about actually bringing in the final layers of, or the, the flesh tones and all the pink and, or, you know, the, the greens and mixing that in and not, not really caring if the graphite get, gets mixed in there? Uh, whenever it's colors like that, I care because it'll really, you know, desaturate your color and make yeah. it really gross. So, you know, a lot of the time, like I said, I, I'll just do a underpainting that's, uh, uh, monotone or something like so black and white are all umbers or something oh so you'll use a, a so the underpainting on the panel itself will be done with an umber to start with you, or yeah. you'll, you'll layer over the graphite yes so it's okay. just all black it's pretty much just black and white like a all value painting Oh, so you work from graphite to a value painting to color? Yes. Really? That yeah. Is... Wow. Okay. Uh, how many layers would you say uh, does a typical painting have? I mean, there's probably just like two if, layers. If you can even count that. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, so there's, you know, the you have your graphite drawing and then your black and white painting and then oh, color on top of the black and white so you'll make a black and white painting and then paint on paint color on top of the black and white painting yeah and Whoa. i think recently i my most recent work i haven't really been adding that much color to it just because yeah. uh i kind of like the black and white painting yeah yeah but uh again it's just really two layers and it dries really fast so oil painting it'll dry within hours just Mm because it's painted so thin. And the whole reason why I like to do an underpainting like that is uh, 
to me, a painting is a successful representational painting should look good in black and white. And that just means that it has uh, everything it needs to look realistic. So I think that was one of the things that I learned over the course of just painting for so many years that, you know, color doesn't really matter. You could color, you could pick whatever colors you want and it would still look like the thing if it has uh, a good value range right. to it. So the, mm, these, uh, when you, when you do the, uh, when, when you're putting down the paint, how, what do you use as your, medium like a because i when i'm when i'm painting right now i try out gamsaw i don't really like gamsaw mm -hmm. i don't like i don't know something about it makes it seem kind of like dried out and i've only been i've kind of just been using like paint straight out of the tube uh mm -hmm. which is kind of uh but on the other hand it's kind of juicy like what yeah do you do you like what do you use a medium at all or do you just use straight up paint uh yeah absolutely uh what what else have you used in the past as so far used, as like your mediums, I usually use like quick drying linseed oil, mm -hmm. um, and then I mean uh, I'm still working in my bedroom, so like there's not much ventilation in Gamsol makes me. I'm not sure if I'm going crazy. I'm not sure if it's going to kill me eventually or not. But oh, I yeah. try to stay away from Gamsol. Uh, but um, yeah, like I this is something I don't really know anything about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I have very strong opinions about like, uh, mediums like that. Oh, uh, so first of all, uh, how I clean my brushes, I just, I clean them with, uh, turpentine, but, uh, a lot of people use turpentine as like their first layer so that it can kind of like thin out the oil. So it's not so fatty. And, uh, I used to do that, but I can't anymore just because I'm so sensitive to the odors from, uh, the turpentine and odorless mineral spirits. Uh, I can't handle it. It will literally give me a migraine. And then, uh, if I accidentally forget to screw the cap on, I will experience some sort of like time loss where, you know, it's three hours later and I have a mess of a painting or something. So, uh, I, the only stuff I use is linseed oil and, uh, stand oil. So the stand oil just like thickened up linseed oil. And I like that stuff just because it's natural. You could eat it. And, you know, that's what the, what people have been using for like six, 700 years. Yeah, and, before turp and all that. Yeah. I mean, it, it works. And I think all this new stuff, I try to stay away from it. One, because it smells bad. And then number two, uh, I don't really trust it. Uh, you, the know government. The story of, you know the <laughs> odd nerdrum story, right? No. Uh, well, you know how he, like, he got in all that trouble a few years ago with uh, tax evasion. Tax evasion, yeah. Uh, that was all because of the medium that he used. So... Back in the 80s or 90s, he made these paintings where it had like, uh, you know, Gamsol or whatever kind of crap that was. And he used that in some of the underlayers and it was fine. He sold all these paintings to his clients 
And a few years later, the paintings are literally melting. Like they, I imagine at the end of Indiana Jones and the, yeah. and the Raiders of Lost Ark or whatever, where that guy's face is melting, that's what his paintings were doing. So what he did was he made reproductions or copies of those paintings with, you know, good materials and then sent them back out to his clients. But uh, the Norwegian government kind of found out about these side paintings that he made and they decided that that was a separate, you know, product. So they were wanted to tax him on that and, uh, so he got in trouble with like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax evasion from making copies of paintings because they're using bad materials. That's like a really practical and boring, <laughs> true motive of a, of a criminal. Yeah, for real. Because of the gam saw. It's so innocent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But luckily, he is uh, the king of Norway. Uh, kind of pardoned him, and he's all good now. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So did you study with Odd Nordstrom? I think I remember hearing that. That you. I yeah. think uh, Neil was telling me about how he, he started using ballpoint pens because you started using ballpoint pens from Odd mm-hmm. Nordstrom or something like that. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, Nerdrum would use uh, blue ballpoint pens all the time for his sketches. And, you know, I, I'm the kind of copycat. So I like to emulate that and ended up liking those as well. Uh, With odd, I studied with him uh, right before I went to grad school in 2012. So uh, I was over in Paris at his place there for a little bit. And then I went over to Norway at his farm and stayed there for a while. Okay. How did you end up uh, there? Like, how did you end up, did you meet him? Did you just apply? Is there an application or what? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, For me, I was such a fanboy of him. I uh, would make a bunch of copies of his paintings just with ballpoint pen. And I would kind of creepily stalk some of his other students. And I found one of the guys that's a really good friend of mine to this day where uh you know we talk to each other every day his name's caleb nodell and he uh-huh. kind of told me or he gave me you know odds wife's email and you send work to her and then uh she accepts you or you know denies you but the way it works uh-huh. is if they if they want you to come and study all you do is pay for your plane ticket and your food and like everything else is free. Wow. But you do model for them and you help them stretch canvas and got to pay your dues. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's still fun. No, chore boy. <laughs> that sounds like fun. That sounds like, that sounds pretty old school. Mm-hmm. The olden times. As far as like the modeling goes too, uh, I whenever you send your stuff over to Turid, like his wife, uh, you also send a picture of yourself. So I think some of the people have gotten accepted just because they look like models that you'd want to use. Uh-huh. Okay. And I can, <laughs> like you are the, uh, perfect example of like the odd nerds or model though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where you have the European look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd probably pay for you to go over there. <laughs> 
Shit, maybe I should uh, roll those dice then. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's All right, well. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so uh, how long did you study with Odd? Uh, I was just was with him for a couple months. Okay. And then I had to cut my time off early and go to Indiana, Bloomington oh, for grad school. Go to grad school. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, let's get into education because – um, there's a lot of things there and even specifically with IU, because for, I don't know why, maybe it was because, uh, because of Neil, but like, I don't know, like IU is suddenly, it seems like I can't get away from IU. Like I just study <laughs> contemporary painters and there's some sort, it seems like some sort of nexus. Um, it seems to me like my impression of it right now is like outside of Atelier's, it's the only state school I can think of that has like a pretty solid, like a pretty dedicated realist program. Mm -hmm. And like, am, am I right? Uh, yeah. Is there another one? Why is that? I think IU just has that long tradition of uh, working figuratively. Part of it is, uh, you know, there's the old faculty emeritus where there's Barry, Bonnie and Bill uh, their last names kind of uh, escape me at the moment, but uh, Bonnie, I, I wish I could remember her last name, but she's sort of like the, you know, the grandmother of the program where she is like really super classical figurative uh, work. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people just flocked over to Indiana because of her and uh she would do these anatomy classes where, I mean, they're really in depth and uh, kind of wild. They would study cadavers for, you know, whole semesters. So I think it all is really from her kind of influence over it. But then there's also uh, the other faculty there that was helping balance that figurative work where it was something that had content in it where you were, using your materials in kind of an interesting way where it wasn't just like the atelier. Right. What was it that drew you to IU or how'd you hear about it? Uh, I couldn't really escape it. Like everyone that I met that I really liked or everyone's work that I really respected, I would look at their CV and it's just like, you know, Indiana university. Uh, uh -huh. So, and my main undergrad mentor, Brigham Dimmick at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, uh, he was uh, IU grad from like maybe the early 90s or so. But he had a relationship with a figure that was just kind of out of this world too. You do these really detailed like drawings of like nervous systems and uh, really cool figurative stuff that transcended just, again, like the atelier thing. Mm -hmm. Is he like Alex Gray at all? You know, it's it's actually like that a little bit, except black and white. <laughs> you might be right. Huh. And more kind of architectural things too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting connection. You're right. So uh did you choose Southern Illinois University or when I when I went to MSU, Mississippi State I went there just because it was like, oh, I guess I'll go to college now. All right. Was it that for you or did you intentionally choose uh, your undergrad? Uh, same as you. It was okay. like, I guess it's time for college now. 
Uh-huh. Uh, I, I had like a really long time in undergrad. I think it took me like eight years to get through it just because like, you know, you're young and you don't really give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I really took my time and honestly, I didn't even going into college. I didn't even really know that I was going into art or whatever. I just kind of fell into it. Uh, mostly, I mean, you grow up in a small town like I did in Southern Illinois, 3000 people being an artist, isn't really the, the cool thing to do. So I kind of grew up as a bro and I was sort of like a secret artist <laughs> and, uh, I had to shed my bro, uh, skin and then kind of embrace <laughs> the art skin. And, uh, it's great being myself now, finally, <laughs> you know? Yo, I didn't know you were a bro. Were you like a, were you like a football player? Uh, I played football very briefly. Okay. Uh, you know, wearing uh, double polos, tucked in shirts, standing. Yeah. Uh-huh. PBR? Yeah. Doing it all. <laughs> Bud Light, getting in fights. <laughs> it's, it's funny, though, too, because a lot of my paintings, uh, they – kind of indirectly refer back to some of those times though because uh i look fondly back on the bro days in some ways yeah i hear that yeah it's like uh she's all that parties every night (laughs) so so back to school um what would you say like your entire schooling from the time you felt like you were, you know, the the times that you were an art student, what did you think was, what do you look back on as being the best or just the, the, the most richest for growing and developing and making connections and meeting, meeting people, what was going on? Yeah. I mean, there's a few different uh, kind of areas of growth that I can think of. Uh, A really big area of growth was an undergrad uh, when I didn't know if I wanted to be a drawer or a painter or whatever. And I really, I took my sculpture class, like sculpture 101 or whatever, as one of my first classes at Southern Illinois University. And, you know, I fell in love with clay. I didn't, I never really worked with it much before. And I loved like modeling uh, you know, make sculpting out of the clay. And I was like on track for a sculpture major for a while where I do, I worked a lot with figure sculpture. I took figure sculpture several times, uh, just because I enjoyed it so much. So I would like audit the class and, uh, doing figure sculpture and then also, you know, taking figure drawing or whatever at the same time, that was like the craziest kind of semester of my life where, you know, it all started clicking a little bit where, you know, I'm understanding the form more. I'm working from life constantly. I'm sculpting uh, the figure in addition to just drawing it. So uh, that's what kind of made me fall in love with the figure. And then especially old masters, just because it blows me away that you can do, make something look better than real, you know? Yeah. The time 
when you were sculpting, was it kind of like a one-to-one ratio of sculpting and drawing? Time spent? uh, Time spent? uh, Not not at all. Like sculpting, it would take, you know, there'd be 12-hour days of just like working on uh, a figure or something. And drawing, so you were sculpting more. Yeah. Drawing, you could knock it out in like an hour, but sculpting, there's always something that you had to like kind of fix or you're looking at it. You had to do it from so many different angles that had to like, you had to make it look good from at least eight different angles, you know? Right. Right. So that, that's kind of why I stopped sculpting though, because it was such a time sink where I couldn't draw and I couldn't paint as much as I wanted to. And that was much faster, you know, Mm -hmm. knock out a really good figure drawing in an hour. And that's it compared to 12 to 50 hours sculpting something and then spending another 20 hours making a mold from it then spending another three hours, like doing a cast in bronze or aluminum or something. That's just way too much for me. Yeah. The, um, okay. So that was during, uh, undergrad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, during grad school, what was, what was a good thing in grad school? Or, or did, did you think grad school was, a? how'd you feel about grad school? Uh, grad school is fantastic. Uh, yeah. I know people that have uh, not as good experiences with it, mm-hmm. but uh, my experience was really quite good. Uh, whenever, you know, I applied one year, I think I applied to a few different schools, but uh, I got rejected from all of them except for like PAFA or New York Academy or something like that. And I was just straight out of undergrad. And that's the kind of work that, you know, they look for and they like. Uh, but I got rejected from Indiana, which was like my top choice. And I decided just to, you know, take a year off and I just painted, you know, paintings every day for a year. And that next time that went around, I applied and, uh, I got in and then they gave me a really great offer too. So, uh, I taught for two years, I had tuition free and they paid me. So I actually made money in grad school, which I keep trying to tell all my students and just anyone that will listen. It's like, you know, go to grad school, but don't pay for it because it's possible. And uh, there's so many good schools out there too, too, like hidden gyms, hidden like state schools that no one really knows about, but there's like really great faculty there. Uh, it's, I mean, it's all out there. You just have to kind of look for it. That's why I have that grad school list that I literally give everyone that will uh, take it. Okay. Uh, what are some schools that you're thinking of just off the top of your head that are on that list? Uh, if, if I had to go back to grad school and I didn't go to Indiana, I'd probably go to like University of Northern Texas or Laguna College or I mean, gosh, those are the two big ones I can think off the top of my head that are like really great schools. The faculty is really interesting and, you know, grad school is a 
my experience with it though, extremely positive. Uh, I learned so much from that. I wouldn't be working the way I am now and having the same amount of, you know, joy, uh, making things, uh, the, like I mentioned earlier, I used to do all those VHS like tape kind of paintings, but one of the main things that kind of got me into painting the way I do now, kind of in that collage method was uh, from a project that Tina Newberry had us do in our seminar graduate class. And basically you like paint half of a painting and then you give it away to someone else and they paint the other half. And I painted this one half that was just like this kind of old master painting. And uh, the other person did something kind of more abstracty with it. And uh, whenever I got it back, uh, their paint wasn't really dry. And I was kind of, it was more of an exercise thing. So I took that and I kind of wiped it off. And then I was like looking at him, I'm thinking to myself, like, how would I paint this if I was like, if it was me kind of going in and doing something different to this, that's whenever I started making those uh, video game old master kind of portraits uh, together at the same time. But just getting in that mode of thinking was so helpful. That came from an exercise in grad school. Yeah. Uh, so is that one of those things where um, the, uh, the artist sees the other half beforehand, before they begin on theirs? Or is it yeah. completely you, blind? You see, it like and you, re- and you see it and you react to it. That's kind okay. of the, that's the idea. And I see. Okay. That's the, kind of, I mean, that's the fun part of it though. Uh, if, I know I'm kind of ruining the spirit of the project by uh, me doing it again to myself, but it's like, you know, you doing one half of a painting and then you doing the other half of a painting, but if if you're a different person or something. Yeah, Uh, I hear that. But you paint the way that you like. (laughs) Right. In grad school, what was it like for you? Were you, were you, was it sort of like a directed, um, was it sort of like you had a studio and you were free and then you would go to classes and they were sort of looping back into this main private studio practice and you would get like guidance along the way or was it different than that? How? Cause I've never been to grad school. Uh, it's very similar to what you just said. Like okay. uh, you teach a couple times a week and then you have a couple seminar classes that you show up to uh, where it's just you and all the other grads. And then you have your private studio where you're working in there and you're getting visits with your faculty uh, mentors. Uh, for me though, like my studio is like, I was never in it unless I needed to take a nap or something. <laughs> and I was at school and I didn't want to go home uh, just because, you know, I'm, I paint at home because I'm more comfortable here. So back in grad school, my studio area was like, uh, literally kind of right next to the kitchen over there too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, you know, you, I will admit, I'll be the first to admit that I definitely missed out on a lot of like social aspects of uh, working right next to my peers and having more studio visits with them. I wouldn't, you know, uh, go around and visit people's studios, but I was definitely more reclusive than most people would. What was a, what was a, uh, a social situation, 
in grad school that sticks out to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a really good question. Like I was saying earlier, just having those studio visits with people that were kind of Mm -hmm. like-minded and similarly skilled painters and people that were interested in the same kind of content, uh, had, you know, diverse kind of philosophies of uh, things. But I think that was sort of the social aspect that I think was cool because whenever they're picking people for grad school, they try to like, you know, pick people from different walks of life, I think. So then you can get together and kind of learn from each other. So uh, I learned so much just from uh, watching my peers work on their uh, paintings uh, one person I had next door, Mike Reeves, he was, uh, like the studio right next to mine, but he was like, so into pop culture, like unabashedly into it where he was kind of, I think some people look at pop culture stuff and kind of think it's a little lowbrow, but, uh, he had a way of like working it. That was like really heartfelt and interesting. Uh, one of the, my favorite paintings that Mike Reeves had ever done was this painting of this uh, house from, I think, Dirty Dancing or something. It was just like, you know, a painting of the landscape scene with that house in it. And he was just talking about how romantic <laughs> it was. And I'm like looking at him like, yeah, you know, that is romantic. It's kind of like a Corot in a way. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Just, that's like touring other people's th- – yeah. that is touring other people's studios. Okay, well – Every every day. <sighs> that's, and, what's, that's the best part about grad school, I think. It's just uh, the people that you meet there and the yeah. kind of relationships that you make. Yeah, that actually sounds kind of awesome. Uh, I wonder – I guess in New York or something, there's there's these – warehouse or you know these big studio spaces where people all work together i guess it's a similar Mm -hmm. thing but every there's probably not as much of a community or a shared common goal as there is in grad school i don't know though but yeah i mean doesn't like maria crane and all those people aren't they kind of like in the same building huh that's what i thought or you know there's that whole group of people similar kind of area yeah. So teachers, any specific teachers uh, that really left a mark on you and that entire range? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like I said uh, early on in undergrad, Brigham Dimmick uh, from Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, he was like a really uh, impressionable person. If I had to compare him to anybody, I, I kind of think of him like Mr. Rogers and uh, Captain Picard put together. <laughs> so like, yeah, he was like really incredibly sensitive. And then also like one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. And, uh, he had a way of like connecting with art that, uh, would kind of make you feel something where why would you make something if it didn't have, if it didn't make you feel something. So he was a big impression in undergrad and uh, in grad school, there was uh, Tina Newberry, Eve Mansdorf, 
uh, Tim Kennedy, Caleb Weintraub, like all those people, Barry Gilt, they were kind of the big people that, you know, everyone in the faculty there are so good. And I learned so much from them. Tina Newberry, I probably connected with the most though, just because we have similar interests and she, she's kind of like, she paints like the way I do basically, except she's a generation behind me, you know, where, and she's kind of a collager where she will arrange her paintings in a way that she like carefully plans them and then she'll put them in a copy machine and make her like Photoshop like that. Yeah. Yeah. Analog Photoshop. Yeah. She's uh, doesn't have those digital skills, but she does it analog and you know, her paintings are beautiful and really well rendered. And uh, I, I think you get into it too. I love like paintings that are just really super tight and like, you know, in there like getting as tight as you can get in some spots. Her name was, her name's Tina. Uh, Tina Newberry. Yeah. Tina Newberry. Okay. Yeah. She's great. She's a, uh, she's really big into civil war uh, stuff. And uh-huh. she even does like, she'll like go to those civil war reenactment type things and she'll, shoot period piece guns and uh she's like an award-winning uh sniper basically with like old civil war era guns oh my god yeah she's really interesting she's got like a bullet machine in her kitchen where she you know makes her own bullets oh my god yeah it's wild into it yeah you have a similar involvement with your uh cultural touchstones like do you go to comic con uh or <laughs> anything like that oh man <laughs> do you ever cosplay as akira <laughs> uh i think if not i not akira more, whatever his name is. i or Kaneda. <laughs> yeah i i think i would if i was uh more brave but like to be honest i would i avoid that kind of stuff like the yeah. plague <laughs> yeah uh i i'm probably like one of those people that feels like i'm too cool for it or something but, yeah. you know, I will watch, uh, you know, people, you know, filming themselves at like a Comic-Con or something or anime conventions. Mm-hmm. I will watch that on YouTube all day. I mean, I, there's a kind of a sick pleasure that I get out of it, too. It's, you know, the voyeur. Uh-huh. I, I really like that aspect. How did you think about learning? Or I'm wondering if you ever did any sort of... Uh, even even now, but during student phase, did you do any sort of um, how did you think about practice? Because I've I've been doing like drills, like painting drills for the past couple of years, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering, did you did you set did you kind of have like teacher uh, teacher learning, like school learning, and then self learning? Did you have a sort of division like that? Did you have a little self learning program? Uh, yeah, totally. That's what I really respect about, you know, what you've done since, you know, being out of school, because I did it very much the same way. Uh, you know, I learned way more about painting, just being out of undergrad, 
just from reading books and then watching tutorials on YouTube, like that stuff was probably the most helpful kind of learning I ever did. And uh, as far as practice goes, I'm right there with you too. I, I had a studio visit with Jennifer Meanly. She was a IU grad from early 2000s, but she does a lot of figurative work. Uh, I had a studio visit with her in undergrad. And uh, at one point she just said like, you know, because I was mainly a drawer, I didn't even really paint. And I told her I wanted to paint and she said, you know, just do a hundred paintings and then you'll kind of get into it. And I, you know, literally just did that where I would make a painting a day for uh, like for a year (laughs) pretty Uh much. And the practice aspect of that, man, you get so much uh, more familiarity with your tools, with your material, uh, like your speed like I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that's one of the most important things you can do. Just the quantity over, I think quantity is better than quality. <laughs> if you're trying to learn, you know, showing up to something every single day and kind of just having a relationship with it and starting to see patterns. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. What kind of paintings were you making when you were doing the uh, every day a painting thing? Uh, would it be one finished painting a day? Yeah, I would do like maybe two or three paintings a day even. Mm-hmm. Uh, the subject matter <laughs> is maybe a little uh, embarrassing where it was just like all kind of softcore pornography yeah. kind of paintings. I've been there. The, I mean, the reasoning for me was, uh, number one, like they're kind of nude figures. So it's like good practice. Cause it's, you know, just kind of like an old master painting in a way, but you're right. Right. So I kind of looked at it like that, but then I also kind of like the aspect of like that kind of love and lust or whatever. But, uh, I mean, there's so many soft core images out there that it gives you, if you kind of give yourself this challenge, then, uh, I used to just kind of have a folder of, uh, those kind of soft core images and i would just say okay i'm gonna paint everything in this folder and you know over the course of a month i'd have like you know 40 or 50 paintings of those things i think i've mostly given them away or thrown them away or burned them or whatever Mm -hmm. but uh that's really where i started getting a lot of my chops softcore porn i've done that too uh (laughs) and it feels a little weird but i'm I'm glad it's it's not just me no yeah 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 I've used hardcore porn too. Like it's a good, it's a, (laughs) it's a good nude reference. It's a good learning tool for sure. I I'm sure a lot of people have done that. You know, if you're just practicing the figure, I can't think of any better way if you don't have access to a model. Yeah. There's, I think there's someone uh, like his on Instagram, their title is milk for my coconut. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, -uh. it looks like he does these digital paintings that are done uh, basically using porn uh, and porn images as reference. Oh, milk for my coconut. Milk for my coconut. Yeah. Look familiar. That is exactly what I did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are great. Yeah. Are they digital or are they acrylic or what? I they think look- for the most part they're digital. Yeah. They look like it. Yeah. Those are awesome. By the way, did you ever do digital? You ever made a digital painting or? 
I used to do a lot of like kind of digital still life things. Uh, but that was like after school and everything, but okay. My, uh, fiance, she is, is like a freelance digital illustrator. So I kind of, she, I see her painting all the time digitally and I kind of feel a little intimidated or something. So I'm kind of in my traditional kind of, uh, analog hole over here <laughs> where I'm a little uh, intimidated or something by it. It's just the rabbit hole is so deep with digital. Like uh, I can't imagine starting over. Part of me loves digital so much that it's just like making a collage or it's e- it's a little easier where you can just undo or make several versions of something. I like that kind of permanence that happens with oil paint where it's there and you either have to fix it or it's <laughs> or it's there for life. Yeah. There is a sort of there is appeal to the to the variation. But on the other hand, that that cruelty of oil and just <laughs> physical matter is there's something about that that I like. It it kind of forces the best out of you. I I really like what you said because it kind of reminds me of like what if if it were the Olympics or something. Uh digital is sort of like your training grounds, but whenever it comes to oils, you have all the eyes on you and you have to kind of like do it right and perform well. Or, yeah. else, it, or else it's just a kind of a failed painting. Right. <laughs> you can't do anything about it. It's just uh, a hunk of wood now. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you did well the day before. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of happening this one day. <laughs> so yeah, it's the performance aspect of it that I think is interesting. That is weird. I never really thought about an oil painting as like a, it is a sort of a live performance. It's okay. So, so now as a teacher, have you been teaching steadily since going to grad school? Um, yeah. Uh, I taught at Indiana university for two years where I did like drawing one, drawing two and digital imagery. And uh, I've been teaching like right after I was graduating. Eve Mansdorf uh, said that Neil Callender was looking for someone to go down south and teach at Mississippi. And uh, I just threw my hat in the ring. And uh, that's how I got down here. Uh, I've just been teaching here for like the last five or six years. Okay. It was because of Neil that you ended up in Mississippi. Uh, Yeah. And I think it's definitely through the Indiana University. Indiana University network thing. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't until way later that I found out that you also went to IU and that was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was a, a revelation to me at the time. Yeah. So That's where everyone goes now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Painting magnet. Do you feel that teaching is, um, important to your own learning and your own understanding of painting? Yeah. I mean, in a, in a, definitely. Like a central way. Yeah. Uh, just, I think as a teacher, I, one of my main things is I like to demo a lot, but I like to do quick demos so that it's no more than five or 10 minutes. So then, uh, you know, they have time to work on their stuff, but just showing them, you know, really quickly the basics. And, uh, if you're making a painting or something like how to just make a quick block out and then uh, get to some details really within five or 10 minutes. So for me, teaching is great because, 
you know, every semester I'm testing out new ways or new methods of trying to get content across. Uh, some people learn better in, in different ways, like auditory, just watching something happen, having instructions for it. So uh, throughout my teaching career, I've been trying to include all of that where I'll have like really direct instructions and then I'll also do a lot of visual aids. But, you know, for me, it really helps to define that kind of technique or that method even more so by instructing it. What do you, what sort of skills do you think uh, for someone learning to draw? Um, what do you think is like an essential skill? What is like the most important qualities to work on and to improve drawing? Just having a really tight control of your values is like one of the kind of biggest things for me, but yeah. you're talking about like how to draw, like draw, draw, uh, you know, measuring and sighting and learning how to like see, uh, mm -hmm. that's definitely the most important. Like I was saying earlier, people learn differently and they look at stuff different ways and it just kind of comes naturally, uh, more quickly in some areas. And for me, I think of, you know, line people and shape people, line people, you can build your matrix and you make a really good drawing off of that just by measuring and sighting. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm more of a shape person where I'll look at something and positive and negative shapes make a little bit more sense to me as I'm uh. Uh, looking at something from life. So uh, it's kind of a combination of all that where I, for me, I think the most important thing is finding that thing where you can, uh, easily kind of see or uh, represent whatever you're looking at, whichever method kind of works best for you. But measuring, sighting, and learning how to see shapes, that's so this the sh abstract way of it. Yeah, the the shape versus the, the line approach you're talking about, that's new to me. The, the How do I say it? Uh, the way that I draw right now is sort of a, I guess I would call it a sort of a shapey. I mean, definitely conceiving of it sort of as a flat plane of positive and negative shapes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just like looking at the, the weird triangle or trapezoid or whatever, it's in between this, like these two desks or something like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, and that's different from this line of, or the matrix line approach. Could you talk more about that one uh like the they call it like you know Piet Mondrian that did the kind of paintings yeah. that were red yellow blue yeah. line kind of things uh they call them Mondrian lines in this uh one uh drawing book that a lot of people from IE use I forget the way it, whatever the book is called but uh whenever you're kind of doing that line method, that's whenever you're just like, you're measuring a vertical and a horizontal line. And then you're seeing what that vertical line is lining up with above oh. it. And then what that horizontal line is lining up with over here. And then you're starting to make these relationships between all of your objects or all of your parts of the figure. And that seems like something that like you and you glow in uh, what cold stream. What is it? Absolutely. That kind of approach. Okay. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. Uglo, you can actually see like on his <laughs> paintings or he has like a little needle where 
like a little mark where he's like pointing in with his little calipers or whatever. Uh huh. Yeah, that's exactly. He's the best guy to kind of talk about as far as uh, how to make a really structured line, right? Thing like that. And so that method, you're like literally, it's gridding something without mm-hmm. actually gridding, without actually taking a photograph and drawing the grid. You're you keep the grid in your head, but you're gritting it out. Yeah. Okay. For sure. And that's kind of the, again, that's kind of the Indiana University way of uh, kind of drawing that, uh-huh. you know, that's a, my uh, first mentor learned how to draw. And then he taught that to all of us at Illinois. And it's kind of incestuous after a while. <laughs> what do you mean by incestuous? Uh, just with all the Indiana University influence, I guess. Oh, uh, uh, it gets sort of echo chambery. Yeah, I, that's why I'm saying. Like, if I had, couldn't go to Indiana again, and I had to choose another grad school, I'd probably go somewhere that had, you know, a little bit more kind of variety to it or something. Because, mm. yeah, I mean, you never know what you're going to pick up or learn from someone. Mm-hmm. This other approach you were talking about with the negative shapes and just sort of seeing uh, like an abstract collage, uh, mm-hmm. that didn't come out of Indiana? Uh, not, I don't think so. Yeah, not so much. They're more just kind of about measuring with a stick and I see. You know, all that. But uh, I think the shape thing for me actually just came out from doing so much of the softcore pornography paintings where uh-huh. uh you know, I squint all the time whenever I'm looking at stuff. So I'm, yeah. if I'm looking at your image right now. I'm just like seeing if I were going to paint it, I would just put a block over here, block over here, then like a couple blocks here. And that'd be, you know, that'd be the painting. So getting right. that abstract part first and just getting the basic shapes laid out and then kind of details later. Yeah. Yeah. And then like refining the really specific jawline <laughs> or whatever. Okay. Absolutely. And Next. that's how I'll start out. Some paintings I'll start out where I don't have the drawing first. I'll kind of block it out and then I'll stick a drawing on top of that. But uh, I'll do an acrylic underpainting just with basic colors. And then I'll just kind of put oils in some of the spots and leave the acrylic. Ah, Because the acrylic's cheaper and it's still, it can be more vibrant sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah. So might as well. As long as it's on there first, like uh, it doesn't matter. Uh huh. Oh, as long as acrylic is underneath the oil. Mm-hmm. Can't can't do oil, or you can't do acrylic on top of the oil. But you can, you know, they have acrylic gesso. That's what you use right. the seal. Right. That's yeah. why that makes sense. Okay. And that's why I just use house paint because it doesn't matter. I'm not going to go to the art store and buy art gesso for fifty yeah. bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a you know a little tube or whatever. Uh huh. Okay. Were you? Um, were, are there any art books that you particularly like, or, or like online resources? Yeah, uh, there's one that was like, gosh, I wish I. Could. Yeah, I've, I just found it. It's called uh, Classical Painting Atelier. A oh yeah, guide. You probably have that, right? By Juliet Aristides. Aristides. Yes. Okay. yes, that that book taught me how to paint. <laughs> like, uh, if it wasn't for that book, I wouldn't know what I was doing. 
classical painting atelier. Yeah. That, I mean, to me, that's the best resource I've ever seen for painting. Okay. I, but if you're like painting kind of like a realistic kind of figure old master thing. Yeah. Just because, I mean, it has like, it shows each step of the painting and it just makes so much sense whenever you're seeing it like that, instead of, you know, being an undergrad it's like, all right, here's a model now paint it. Just right. <laughs> it's like, right. Okay. But, uh, I, th- that source, gosh, that's the best. I'm so thankful for that book. How'd you come across that book? Uh, and that's a good question too. I think I was just like looking online and it had a bunch of good reviews on it or something. And then I, I just, and it gives you like a little preview of like some of the pages that you can flip through at first. And, uh, right. Right. Yeah. So I think I saw, I was searching out like old master palettes or what, you know, John Singer Sargent used on his palette or okay. what Titian used. And that was kind of like the source for it. And, you know, that was probably 10 years ago. So uh, there's not that back just 10 years ago, there wasn't like YouTube tutorials of like painters doing these great paintings. It was like really not much was out there. Right. But now I, you could learn how to paint just watching YouTube, like Sean Cheatham or someone. He has some of the best painting tutorials. Sean Cheatham has YouTube videos? Uh, Yeah. That's new to me. Sean Cheatham has some, you know, David Kassan. uh, Yeah. He has like some really great drawing videos. Like he's kind of the guy that helped me kind of figure out the blocking out thing. Oh yeah. You're just kind of looking at shapes and it's like, Oh yeah. You're just kind of like getting the light part and the dark part and then that's it. Right. And then you're getting details after. Right. Right. I didn't know he had YouTube videos. Yeah, I I think all those guys kind of have some some here or there. Uh-huh. That's awesome. I know, like, you know, Zen Lim, he has those uh, yeah. charcoal drawing videos, which are great. And I haven't, Yeah, those are great. Yeah. So I hadn't seen many uh, YouTube, uh, I mean, uh, painting videos. So, so that's good to know. So, all right. Uh, I am curious about your palette. Um when you're doing stuff like, uh, mm, let me see if I can pull up one. When you're doing one of these uh, big anime type paintings, like mm-hmm. this one, uh, this one, I don't know the name of this one, but it has a hand in it. Uh, it's oh, yeah. got. I have it right here. <laughs> That's it right there. Yeah, this is like, I won't sell this one for just because I like it. Yeah. Um, I feel attached to it. Uh, this was like a black and white painting first. And then, you know, the color palette is really pretty simple. Uh, I usually just have like a warm and cool of each color. So like a cad red and then like an Indian red. Oh, okay. Or with that, it has a lot of pinks and kind of teals. So uh-huh. uh, a lot of that's just a lizard and crimson. Uh, and then there's Viridian green. Uh-huh. Most of my skin tones are alizarin, uh, crimson, Viridian green, and then adding like Naples or yellow ochre to it. 
those, those are, are your skin tones yeah and then a little bit of white here or there but uh-huh. uh i like mixing those complements together because there's a lot of kind of greenish skin tones anyway and kind of right yeah so the uh what kind of white do you use by the way do you use like a lead do you use titanium white or do you use that lead white stuff is like everyone yeah. says titanium white is chalky I've got uh Kremnitz white. That's kind of the lead white. Uh, okay. I've got like the old Holland version of that, that, you know, it's really good, but it's also kind of, it's kind of crusty and a little weird. Like some people love lead white, but uh, I really just kind of stick to titanium because it's got a strong tinting strength. And yeah. To yeah. be honest, I don't really use a lot of white. Like I'll kind of take some of it, but I will mm-hmm. tint things more with Naples yellow. But Naples really? yellow has a lot of white in it anyway. Okay. Though. So the, this, um, uh, in this painting, uh, the high, the high flesh tones on these, uh, anime figures, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, or even on that, the white on that hand, is that, um, is that tinted with Naples yellow? I, yeah. So that's, it's like lizard and crimson viridian mixed together to make kind of a grayish kind uh-huh. of, skin color and uh-huh. then uh it's heightened with naples and then uh white a little bit of white yeah with this there's probably definitely more white more white it, though, yeah okay sure yeah. but yeah. the people behind there uh like that girl's face that's definitely a lizard and crimson and uh viridian plus naples huh and that's more of the natural kind of skin tony kind yeah that's a combination I never even thought about. I've been using, uh, it's like, it's super basic. I've been using, um, sort of a Zorn palette with ultramarine blue replacing, uh, black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I am just using the primary colors in white titanium cad, yeah. uh, cad red and yellow ochre and then ultramarine blue. Those um, are great. Yeah. It's pretty simple. It works. All right. I um, can't believe you're using blue. Like, uh, <laughs> just because you can use the black and make it kind of look blue enough in some ways. Like, I'm oh, looking, yeah. I've actually looking at that painting behind your head, and, you know, one of those could almost look kind of blueish with just with the black. Oh, uh, okay. I've never even bought a can of black. <laughs> but yeah. maybe I need to uh, uh, try it out. Give black yeah, you a know, whirl. some of the best blacks that you can make, though, are just kind of mixed together. Like, the black that I will make for my darkest darks is just Prussian blue plus burnt umber. Like those two make a like richer black. Yeah. It's kind of like a black hole. It's so black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you mix a little stand oil in there. It kind of gives it a little bit of a sheen. That's mm-hmm. what really, and then it doesn't sink in. That's what it kind of bums me out about ultramarine though, because it like sinks in the painting so much where it just sucks it up where it kind of becomes matte, but it's Entirely a beautiful low. blue though. I mean, yeah. it's, I always have it on the palette though. Cause it's a great warm blue, Uh huh. but uh, the limited palette though. I, I like to use that too. just focus on those values. That's, I mean, to me, that's what the most important thing in a painting is. That's why mm-hmm. you see all those reproductions of old masterpieces and an old book and it's in black and white. Right. You couldn't afford color, but, you still, still you're like, hey, that's a really kick-ass painting still. So it does, to me, color doesn't matter. Like, color yeah. is just kind of secondary. So 
some painters would disagree, but I think it's all about value. Yeah. And all right. One more thing about this painting, that pink, how did you like the pink on that index finger? Uh, how did you get that? Uh, I think that's just like a lizard and crimson and like a little bit of white. Is it really? It's just a little bit of white because uh, if you get it too white, then you lose that saturation. Uh-huh. So if you're going to turn this painting in black and white, that finger would be like really dark gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So uh, to me, a lot it of that be, just yeah. like uh, kind of manipulating trans like the saturation of it. So kind of being sneaky about, because if you add too much white, then it just looks like it's a color with white in it. But if you just add a little bit and put a little bit of like Naples in it, then you can keep that saturation of that beautiful pink. Yeah. So do you think mixing in some Naples along with the white is key to uh, keeping that vibrancy to it? The Naples definitely keeps it, and a kind of saturation level where it's not chalking it out for sure. Like whenever I yeah, look at skin right. tones on the hand, that's really chalked out. Right. And that's probably partially why that pink looks so vibrant though too, because the uh, other thing is uh-huh. so, you know, desaturated. Right. But, you know, I think that pink, it might not be a lizard. I think it's uh, maybe permanent rose. Okay that's a really kind of hardcore kind of fake pink fake pink right yeah i know neil and, said he was using that for his uh, plant light uh yeah. grow light light yeah i love that painting i know exactly what you're talking about and that one just you know glows because everything else around it's so dark yeah like neil's right. whole painting is just like it, it on an uh, one to 10 value scale and 10 is the blackest. Like he works in, you know, seven to 10. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Man, those are, uh, he, I don't know if you've ever seen his nocturnes, but he makes some of those too. Yeah. He showed me one that he did, uh, um, of this like house. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like, and, and those, when, uh, I'm pretty sure Starkville got these like cold ass street lights recently, uh, <laughs> or not, um i know exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. They're cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i miss the sodium lights actually you know those orange lights i haven't me too in mississippi at least in like jackson they're they're around but not so much in new york i'm not seeing a good sodium light as the dominant street light you know, i didn't know they're <laughs> called sodium lights yeah i, I, I miss those where... too uh-huh <laughs> like there's i mean if you ever were on a long drive, like, and you came up to a city, those would be like really kind orange of lights in a way. It's like little fires or something. Yeah. Lighting the way. So I'm wondering one more thing I'm wondering about, how do you clean your brushes if you don't use paint thinner, like chemical stuff? Oh, uh, I do. All right. I'll use paint thinner for it, but I'll like open up the container and kind of swish it around in there a little bit and then Mm -hmm. I'll close it immediately. So as fast as I can, I know some people use baby oil though. And right. Right. I think to me, that sounds like, you know, that could work. (laughs) What do you use? You know, I'm always looking for methods right now. I've been using a combination of, uh, 
Gamsol, I'd take it into my bathroom and go to the, turn the fan on. Oh, yeah. Some Gamsol, uh, rub some damn uh, – I have, like, a bar of soap that I use as a little brush cleaner uh, oh, after yeah. I thin the paint out. Um, and then I dry it off, and then I dip it in some clove oil. And then I have to – I've noticed that I have to keep on re-wetting it with the clove leaf oil every, like, day, other day or something, or it's still going to get crusty. Uh, oh. Unless I, like, super soak it in there, but I don't huh. – I haven't been super soaking it. Yeah, I I think I'm curious about like some of those methods. Like, do your brushes last longer like that? I have noticed that clove leaf oil. If I dip it, if there's like if it's like soaked in the oil, if I like you know, um, mm-hmm. I would say that'll last a week because depending, it, it'll it'll last at least like five days. I don't have to even look at it. Um, yeah. I don't have to do anything to that brush. But I usually don't put that much on there, so I have to keep on uh, redoing it. I've had, I've, I still have brushes dry out on me. Yeah, I'm always looking for ways of preserving my brushes. Like I, pretty much after a week or two of using them, they're trashed, and I just like will throw them away or I yeah. like use them as texture brushes or something. Yeah. Okay. So yours don't have a very long lifespan. Yeah, uh, not at all. Okay. I, that's why I, I buy was a bunch me. of cheap ones too. <laughs> Yeah, I use these little craft brushes with the blue handle on them. You know, yeah, like, those are my favorite. I think these little art store fuckers. <laughs> yeah, here's Michaels. They come from Michaels. Yeah, it's kind of like my setup here. Okay, where I I like the clear handled one just because feels like the it's fake nylon synthetic hair uh-huh. and that really lays on nice and easy. But yeah, those are probably my favorites to use. I honestly, I think you can't make, I think the brush kind of makes the painting in a way. Like if you don't have good brushes, like you can't make a good painting. And But even the cheap brushes brushes are, yeah, those brushes are cheap, but they're good. Like they're good for, you know, a certain amount of time. They have a life. But if you're using like the rat for Walmart brushes, those yeah, might not yeah. be so if they're like leaving hairs in your painting, then you definitely yeah. have to those are the wrong brushes, but you just go up just a little bit of a grade and then okay. then you're in a good spot. Right. Avoid <laughs> okay. the rat fur. <laughs> uh-huh. One other thing I was wondering about is how long will it take you from initial collaging of a painting to uh, you know, completion? It could take, you know, anywhere from a few days to a few weeks usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of depends on the thing. Uh, the paintings I've been doing lately, the, the all black and white ones pretty much, uh-huh. uh, those are really fast. Like yeah. just because I'll usually do the underpainting anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were coloring it, the coloring part just kind of gets tedious. And after spending a week or two with the painting, you start to kind of like hate it too in a way. Where yeah. I find it's much easier to kind of the quicker I work, the less I hate it and the more I'm kind of into it. It's just, Uh, it can be painful sometimes working on something for so long. I am curious about this one called epitaph here. I'm curious how did, how you made it? Like, how did you get that smeary dude in the background? How did you make that sort of smear look? uh, I mean, that, is actually remember earlier whenever I was talking about the 
having mineral spirits open, it kind of messes up my kind uh-huh. of senses or my brain. Uh, that was a night when I was doing a copy of this Van Dyke painting and I had the mineral spirits open and I didn't know it. And uh, like I was painting it and everything was going fine. And then I started like really kind of messing things up and you know how a painting can just really devolve where it snowballs where you mess up one thing and then more things get messed up and then uh, it's, you know, unfixable. So with that, I just got to a point where I couldn't do anything more to it. So I just took a big brush and I was just kind of going back and forth with it. Okay. And uh, it blurred it out. Like I was just wiping it out so I could start again, like the next day. But uh, the wipeout ended up something that I really liked and I waited for it to dry because I wanted to do something on top of it. There's this painter that I really like, but I just can't remember his name at the moment. I can never remember his name, but he uh, teaches over in California. Uh, Yeah, here's this guy. His name's Tom LaDuke, like that guy. He does a lot of paintings where he'll have like a background screenshot from like Star Wars or something. Mm -hmm. And then he'll just put like, just oil paint like right on top of that, like where it just looks like it's paint on a palette or something. It's really interesting. But anyway, something like that, that's just sort of the result of uh, kind of fumes really. <laughs> was this, was this a plan? Were you planning on going in a different direction with this one? Uh, making it kind of like a traditional old master thing. And then it just went another way. Uh, yeah, totally. With this one, it was originally just supposed to be like a practice kind of old master copy. Oh, I see. Like, uh, a lot of these, like you were saying earlier, where you do a lot of practice, like some of that is just really good kind of warming up. Uh-huh. And uh, I really like that painting. I just wanted to make like a little practice painting. Right. But then, you know, it kind of turned into that. And uh, I think, I don't know if I made any others like that, but... I guess there's more kind of blurry ones I've been kind of into lately. Yeah. I like the hard and soft edges. Like Right, right. The kind of painting, like value is king for me, but then after that's hard and soft edges. And mm-hmm. very few people out there right now, I feel like really stress on hard and soft edges. Like, like coming in between, going in between, having hard edge here and then blur- blending back in. and then Yeah. Exactly. Having a mix of both. (laughs) I mean, that's exactly it. Having focal points and a mixture of both hard and soft. Yeah. Uh, Every time I go to a gallery or an exhibition or something, I'm always like looking at the paintings really close, trying to see uh, the areas where it's tight and the areas where it's a little bit more loose. I think that's part of the kind of performance of the painting that I like. Is there a contemporary artist you can think of that's uh, making good use of that? Like the hard and soft edges? Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, John Curran. He is like probably one of the tightest, you know, current painters I can think of. Vincent Desiderio. Tom LaDuke. Like that guy. That's the Star Wars wild. guy? 
Yeah, he does the uh, like the screenshot, and then he'll have like paint on top of it where it looks like it's almost on a uh, like a frosted glass or something or on a window. Yeah, I think he's probably probably one of the greatest hard soft people I can think of right now. Uh, these jelly beans, these sort of jelly things that uh, that you've been doing, Terminator Two fluid. How did you? How do you get? that and how do you get that shadow uh do you render that in your uh on the computer or do you, is that coming out of your head uh that kind of that kind of thing is a mixture of like several stuff like uh in maya or something i'll render a glass object but have it have a color to it mm-hmm. and then that will kind of give me some reference for what the shadow will look like but, you know, there's all kinds of references out there for, like, teardrops. And it has the same concept where you have a highlight surrounded by darkness. And then you have a reflected light uh-huh. in a zone. And that's the kind of the the secret sauce of it. Uh, and, you know, Christian Rex von Menon is, like, the man for all of that. Like, uh, he he's the king of, like, the jelly. Uh-huh. Did you and, get that jelly, like uh, the circle for this guy's face on Epitaph? Did you, uh, how did you make that shape? Uh, that was, I think I was using like a oil pastel uh, thing. and I just kind of drew a line around it. And uh, my whole goal for that is I wanted to make it look like it was a Jolly Rancher that was like kind of, or you've like sucked on it for a good amount of time. <laughs> yeah. It's like really thin and kind of sharp. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of what I wanted it to look like. That's exactly what it looks like. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear. Yeah, that was exactly what I was saying. <laughs> I mean, I, I love all that kind of stuff. That's why I really like doing jewelry and gems and uh. like uh, some of my favorite things are, you know those old blow pops or those old ring pops like from, yeah yeah like, oh my god awesome. like even here on my desk i have like this little gym kind of little thing you know it's just made out of plastic but i like kind of having that stuff near me so i can use it for reference or you know inspiration mm-hmm. and the um okay yeah your video pieces uh, that you do, um, do you ever, when I look at that, I'm interested in video too. And when I look at that, I sometimes wonder if there's a way to combine stuff like that or just digital artwork with painting. Do you, do you ever think about that? Do you think you'll ever do anything like that? Cause that's something that it interests me, but I don't see a way in. You know, like, yeah. I don't know how to begin doing that. Do you ever think about that? Like, com- like having somehow combining and video work, like, kind of together. Somehow, somehow combining that. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know how that could be done, but I mean, I'm that's a really good question. That's like something that I've been thinking about for years. Like, how does, how do those two go together? Uh, to me, I kind of feel like painting goes it's much more in line with like film than uh, other kind of other things. Like, you know, it's not like sculpture or whatever. Like 
whenever I think of paintings that I really like, especially like figurative or representational paintings, they are kind of like scenes in a movie in a way where uh, I really like that cinematic kind of cinematography kind of aspect where you're controlling the light and how that all looks. Oh, right. So in a way of like combining video with paintings, it might just be like, you know, making a movie and then painting stills from it. Or uh, that's what I really wanted to do with some of my paintings is like, I, I have a movie that I really like the look of, but I want to paint a still from it. But it's so hard to, because the digital things out there has like this comparison to the painting, which makes it really difficult in some ways because the painting has to live up to the video or the video has to live up to the painting. So that's, you're kind of touching on an area that's like exactly kind of the hardest part where I haven't really quite figured it out yet. And I'm really glad that, uh, that Marissa whole, like had sent that video of yours of, uh, uh, Sailor Moon with the uh, "Thank God I'm a Country Boy." Uh huh. Like to me, that is, I love that because that's just the kind of the epitome of what I what I'm kind of into. It's like taking two completely separate things, but kind of giving them context with each other. And whenever I think of that song with Sailor Moon, to me, I you may have just been doing it to be funny, but to me, it, I was just thinking about like you know, me growing up in a small town and a farm in the country and kind of being influenced by all these things like animate, but just being kind of isolated and by myself. And so it's funny on the surface, but then like, to, I don't know, I think it's really kind of beautiful and kind of a sad and interesting way. Yeah. That, that sort of, that sort of weird, tension between cultural phenomenon is something I'm, I'm very interested in. I mean, the way I think of it is like, what if, uh, you know, Rembrandt or Leonardo or someone were living in 2019, what would they paint? Like, uh, I don't think that they would be in a dark room painting drapery <laughs> or something. Uh, there's so much out there. Like, right at our fingertips is the greatest reference source of all time that man has ever seen. We have billions of things that we could choose from. And that's the kind of interesting thing about uh, what a person chooses from those billions of uh, reference materials and, you know, how they work together. Yeah. What happens when I do this? Is an interesting phrase that I think about a lot. <laughs> yeah, I I like that experimental kind of uh, analogy where it's just that's your lab, it's your studio. All right, uh, so I guess that will be a wrap. Um, though uh, I feel like we could keep on talking, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If there's anything you wanna wanna throw in as like a final note smack that sub button and like comment uh-huh. and subscribe. <laughs> awesome <laughs> thanks for doing that for me i always get very awkward about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> my self plugs uh yeah i just get uh, everybody to do that for me i i think this sort of thing is a lot of fun though like just talking shop basically uh-huh. uh, and, and uh, uh yeah keep in touch 
We'll do it again sometime. Yo. Okay, thanks for listening. It was really, really nice of you. Uh, I'm going to link a few things in the show notes. Like I said, the paintings, all the paintings are there. You can also find his website, his Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Just type in Zach Coke. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard, I don't think. I'm also going to link the grad schools that he was talking about that everyone should know about. I'm gonna, there's going to be a link to that. There's also going to be a link to a bunch of contemporary painters at Dropbox folder. Uh, this is one that I was saying changed my life. Maybe it'll change yours. It definitely made me reconsider the, uh, the, the, the playing field. So maybe. Check that out. And, and join me in waving Zach goodbye. It was a great interview. Uh, thanks a lot, Zach. You have really been a lot to me, bro. So, yeah. yeah. Catch you on the flip. This is Eyesore. <laughs>